Hello and welcome to Church of the Resurrection podcast. You are listening to episode three. Uh, first of all, thank you um, for tuning in or whatever the equivalent is to tuning in. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're listening. Um, if you've been at Church of the Resurrection for any uh, amount of time at all, I hope that you've gotten uh, the sense that what we're doing in, in planting a church here in Sioux Falls is we are seeking uh, we're seeking to make disciples. That we're not a gathering, we're not we're not the remnant of people who have kind of figured out how to worship rightly or believe rightly, um, but in fact we're planting a new church because new churches reach unreached people for Jesus more effectively than existing churches. And this is a this is a missionary effort. This is an effort uh, we have to make new disciples, to bring people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this is something that animates us. And what we want to do while we equip people to be disciples um, is to equip people also to make disciples. That being a disciple uh, necessarily entails making disciples. And we, we look at the woman at the well um, in the book of John, um, John chapter 2, I believe, um, how she uh, she was known as an adulterous woman, a woman who had lived with multiple men, none of which were her husband. And uh, yet we, we rightly look at her as the first missionary, um, that she didn't go to missionary school. She didn't go get a theology degree. Um, but what did she do? She went back to her village proclaiming Jesus. And um, so that's that's something that I notice uh, so frequently is that people talk themselves. Um, they, they, they People feel very disempowered to do the work of, of making disciples. Uh, and we even take the word evangelism out of book titles. This book that we're talking about is Organic Outreach. It's, it's, it's substituting evangelism for uh, – substituting outreach for evangelism because outreach is a less scary term. Um, but, but what I'm hoping for is that you, uh, by listening to this, can, can help to feel empowered to do the work of mission. Um, and and we, part of that is re, rethinking evangelism and rethinking outreach. Um, and uh, so this book kind of uh, gives a case for that. It gives... Uh, chapter by chapter, uh, covers different things. Chapter three um, is not a very practical chapter. It doesn't give a lot of tools in the tool belt, so to speak, uh, as far as uh, going out and reaching out with, with the gospel. Um, but it does have an important tool. So its title is Embracing the Bible in Truth. Um, and so before... We jump into uh, chapter four, which is well, one degree rule, um, which we'll cover next time. It's important to, to um, have a at least a, a minimal um, idea of not just what the scripture says, but a minimal uh, to have a trust in the scripture to 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 not feel that we need to uh, soften the message that that um, we need to take the word of God seriously, that we need to take it um, as, it's, uh, as it's written. Um, 
Now, there, there are a lot of different ways that, that um, people have gone wrong in interpreting the Bible. Um, some have gone the fundamentalist route um, and leave no room for uh, interpreting the Bible uh, in terms of genre. Um, but the other side is to just throw big chunks of the Bible out. And we need to have a healthy and serious view of Scripture and to read it and read it well. Um, because the kind of the core of, of outreach is reaching the world for Jesus Christ. You know, we're not we're reaching the world seeking to spread, uh, make people interested in world peace or in ending hunger. Um, although th- these are things that we believe will come about as people grow to know Christ. Um, but the purpose uh, of outreach is to bring people to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. As Jesus um, commanded, uh, he said, go into the world and make disciples teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So um, kind of the two-sentence summary, three-sentence summary of this chapter, uh, the author writes, the word of God is true, and Jesus is the truth. As we seek to reach out, we must know what we believe and express it with confidence. God's word is the source of truth and sound doctrine. So we don't need to, to, to know scriptures backwards and forwards like that uh, woman at the well. Um, she, she didn't have a, a great depth of knowledge, but she trusted Jesus and she took him at his word. And we need to do the same thing with the word of God is to, is to believe it. Um, doctrine matters. Uh, some Christian circles today uh, have gone a little bit too far in saying that that we can't confidently know truth. And um, they emphasize that doctrine is kind of old-fashioned and it's confining. And, and they want to just reimagine uh, the Christian faith as, as kind of sort of uh, painting uh, unclear pictures. And we, we kind of um, stagger towards the unknown uh, and, and embrace Jesus. and um, But it's, it's, it's all kind of wishy-washy. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Like these kind of people who seem nuanced or revolutionary or innovative um, are really just tossing out fundamental truths of Christianity. Um, so, you know, we, we, uh, we find ourselves like in the middle of this. We're not on the fundamentalist side. And if you have questions about like, oh, what do you mean when you say fundamentalism? Those are great questions. We can cover those um, if you have questions about that. Um, but uh, some Christians get the sense that that we shouldn't be making absolute truth claims. Um, and uh, some Christians, therefore, has, have become uncomfortable um, doing this in a postmodern society that, that shirks away from absolute truth. Um, uh, and they also think that this will be appealing to unchurched people. Um, that, that they'll be like, oh, well, you, you, you kind of have a nuanced view of the world too. But the reality is that um, unchurched people really actually do care about what we believe. And oftentimes they are, um, they are searching for something stable and something solid and concrete to, to, uh, to embrace. Um, that they, that um, something kind of vague and uncertain isn't all that appealing to them. Um, a, a guy named Rainier, uh, he cites Tom Rainier. Uh, uh, he says almost nine out of 10 formerly unchurched people told us that doctrine was the major factor in choosing a church. 
So we delve further into this issue and we asked why, why is doctrine so important to you? And the most frequent response was their desire to know truth or absolutes. That in fact, people are searching for answers, um, that, that, that they are looking for answers to the vagaries of life that uh, by, by responding with, well, we don't know either. No, like we, the Bible isn't a comprehensive thing that has something to say about everything. Um, but the Bible says what the Bible says a lot. And if the Bible says something, we can be sure that the Bible is a trustworthy source, that it is God breathed and that it's trustworthy and useful for teaching. And the Bible uh, teaches that people are lost without Jesus. Now, this is a, a word that is kind of, uh, people feel even believing Christians feel uneasy about. Uh, that that um, it feels wrong to say that people are lost without Jesus. Um, well, Jesus himself used that term to describe people who don't know Jesus. And we think uh, we could think of, about uh, the biblical writer Luke. In Luke chapter 15, he, uh, he told three consecutive parables, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. And then four chapters later, Luke wrote, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That Jesus' heart pounds for lost people. That Jesus, Jesus has a heart for lost people, and we should too. Um, that Jesus didn't really come to make claims about one religion being better than another. Jesus came to, to, to just break all religious categories and to say that, that um, life is found through him and through him alone. And this is what Jesus clearly teaches in the Bible. And um, that's something that we need to embrace, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable, that the Bible um, has certain absolute claims that, that will stretch our thinking. And, um, as we treat the Bible as God's word, um, when, when we kind of have issues with it, it's, it's not the Bible that it's not uh, our kind of gut feeling that needs to change or that, that, that we stick with our gut feeling needs to change and, um, and become consistent with the witness of scripture. Um, And so this gets to the uncomfortable part of hell, where hell and judgment from, from a just uh, and good and gracious God is, is a very uncomfortable thing for some Christians. And um, this isn't just a Kevin, – uh, Kevin DeYoung and Ted Kluck wrote about uh, the avoidance of hell is not just a liberal problem. Evangelicals in recent de decades have soft-pedaled the doctrine as well opting instead for a therapeutic God who encourages our self-esteem. Likewise, some missiologists argue that the missionary enterprise should no longer be seen as a venture to save people from hell, but only as an effort to bring God's kingdom of justice and shalom to all people. Well, I don't think our motivation for um, mission should be to save people from hell, but... Um, <laughs> And I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, but but uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't shy away from Jesus' clear teaching about hell. Like hell is is something that Jesus raises more than any other. So it's not something that. So some people say, well, Jesus never talked about this, or Jesus never talked about that. 
Well, the most frequent mention of hell is from the mouth of Jesus himself. So this is something that's it's really hard to avoid um, if we're going to take the Bible seriously. Um, so what I said about uh, our primary motivation shouldn't be to save people from hell. Um, I think our primary motivation ought to be to um, to to share the kingdom of God and to welcome people into a saving relationship. So may, maybe that's just an academic point. Maybe um, it's all the same. Uh, but um, I, I just don't like the idea of, of like living in fear. Like rather I would like to share uh, this awesome relationship that God has extended to us. Like that's what, what ought to motivate us is we want to welcome people to that rather than say, oh, well, let's scramble and save people from hell. So maybe that's just an unimportant academic point. But um, the whole point of this chapter is is um, just how to – that we we can't be uncomfortable or scared of what the Bible says, that, that, that it's the Bible that gives us clarity and truth and teaching and um and so it, it's it's what gives us our motivation and so we, we can't um uh, we can't go squishy on this and so he ends this chapter with a really interesting anecdote with an from an atheist who's like i can't respect any christian who doesn't try to proselytize me he says if you actually believe that lost people are going to hell then it's insulting to me if you don't um, work to save me from that. Um, where where um, some Christians uh, feel disempowered to do the work of mission because, um, well, we just want to respect everyone too much. But uh, someone who uh, knows what you believe and you're not proselytizing them, they may not necessarily feel loved if you don't do that work because they're saying, my friend who's a Christian uh, is just as happy to let me go to hell. Like how much do you have to, uh, this is what the, the, the person said, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and to not tell them about that? So this is a kind of an interesting chapter just in that. Um, and uh, and so, I mean, it's just, it's just something to wrestle with uh, as, as we kind of, uh, if you have a personal struggle with, with um, believing all the things that the Bible say, um, I mean, that's a conversation I would like to have with you. If, if you struggle with bits of the Bible, um, I think we need to kind of bend um, our hearts to believe what the Bible says. So just to wrap up here, um, each chapter has uh, an activity at the end. And, and uh, one of them he encourages us to do is to watch Jesus, to take time in the coming days to learn about how Jesus interacted with lost people. Note how his attitude, his love, his patience, his words, his actions in the Gospel of John, particularly in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Um, and I'm sorry, the Samaritan woman was chapter 4, not chapter 2. Um, chapter 2 would have been the um, turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. My fault. Uh, instant correction. <laughs> um, the woman caught in adultery in chapter 8, man born blind chapter 9, and Pilate chapter 18. Um, to just read Jesus' interactions with lost people and see what he does. Um, and, of course, we seek to emulate Jesus. Um, and uh, his prayer direction uh, guidance is, is um, to pray, pray to God to um, help us grasp what the witness of Scripture is. Um, even if it kind of spills beyond the boundaries of our understanding to 
um, pray to have confidence in, in the word of God. So, um, so that's chapter uh, three. Um, thank you for, for listening. Um, we have, uh, let's see how many more chapters. There are 13 chapters. So um, we're, you know, just starting this book. I'm very excited. I got another book in the mail. That I'm very excited to share with you, but I do want to finish this one first. I hope this has been fruitful um, for, for you. And um, if it is, uh, I'd love to hear any, any feedback you have. Uh, I'm enjoying uh, sharing just my things that I'm learning through this book with you. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.